faster than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. People believe tall buildings of a single bound. The instant of ship town is now the man of steel. Superman! Welcome to Superman Forever Radio, Episode 61. I am your mild-mannered host, J. David Weeder, and this is the first episode of March. It feels like spring is getting much, much closer, which I am a big fan of. Um, But when I was planning out episodes, I realized that this one was being released on March 3rd, and I wondered to myself, why does the date sound so familiar? And it dawned on me that this was the date that my novel Smite was released on in 2009. I was shocked. Now bear in mind that's not a plug. It's a beginning to a train of thought. Because I thought to myself, has it really been four years? How has four years passed in just an instant? Uh, But that, in turn, led to a further realization that while we're celebrating the 75th anniversary of Superman, I clearly remember the 50th. You know, that I was there for that. And I was completely aware of the anniversary. And then it realized that was 25 years ago. And you know, in all the prep, all the planning I've done for the show for 2013, all the talk of the anniversary, I don't think I ever said it out loud and put that in context. 25 years. Two and a half decades. A quarter of a century. I'm really reluctant to admit that this much time has passed. That means that the Superboy TV series is 25 years old. It means it has been 25 years since I was a kid who would stay awake all night on Friday night so I wouldn't miss the Ruby Spears Superman cartoon. Man, time really does fly. Um, But I say that to say this. So I want to look at it from another perspective. Um, looking at it this way, there's a good chance that I will be alive to see Superman's 100th anniversary. And that excites me. That really excites me. Because when I think about the last 25 years and what it's brought us, we've had the death of Superman. We've had electric Superman, long hair Superman, Lex Luthor as president. We had Superman the Animated Series, Lois and Clark, Smallville. All the animated DVD movies, the new 52, and much, much more. So much has happened in 25 years. And for everything that I talk about on this show, the perspective is mostly what came then, how I felt then. Not much about what is or will happen. And even though I kind of feel old, thinking of it as the 25-year mark, I'm comforted by the fact that there's still a lot to see and a lot to look forward to. Now, I don't actually expect Superman Forever Radio to be around 25 years from now. I I don't even know if podcasting will be around in 25 years. Because 25 years ago, I was making shows on a tape player. And I had no concept of the internet. Who knows what podcasting will mean in 2038. But I, I want to see it. And I want you to see it too. But kind of segueing off of that tangent, it's not even a good segue, but... This week's episode is about Jimmy Olsen. I'm not going to do a big defense of the character. Uh, more, It's more of a Jimmy Olsen-themed episode. Um, nobody's thrown down the gauntlet on this one, and the truth is, 
I'm not as passionate about Jimmy Olsen as I am about Lois. He's not a, a deal breaker the way she is. Now, let me be clear that I like Jimmy Olsen. This isn't a bashing Jimmy Olsen because that's a resounding, you know, exciting introduction. And, I mean, if you really want to, you know, Jimmy share some of the aspects of the defense that I did make for Lois. He gives Superman a face applied to his rescues. He's good for exposition, which is a big reason why he was created, actually. But he's also an, kind of an odder puzzle piece to the core cast because Lois is the romantic lead. Uh, she's also a fun rival, um, sometimes companion. Perry is the authority figure. He's also a bit of a moral compass to both Lois and Clark and a de facto father figure, and an obstacle at times to the secret identity. And Perry's good for getting, well, Perry and Lois are good for getting plot lines moving, and Jimmy does that. He does get plot lines moving, but he's, at best, maybe the plucky comic relief when you looked at in, in the full context. A uh, guy who occasionally has cool moments, and, and the defense could be made that Jimmy, being the cub reporter when he premiered, was kind of the analog to the children reading the book. Fair enough, I mean, that's fair. Uh, but I'm not here to bash Jimmy. I'm not here to defend him. And as I mentioned, I know this isn't glaring praise. But as I meant to make it clear, doesn't mean I don't like Jimmy Olsen or respect him. He's fun. He has his moments. But the Superman mythology without Jimmy is still solid. His removal doesn't throw everything into a messy turmoil. But Jimmy is a core member of Superman's cast. He's been in every iteration. So it does make sense, doing a Superman show, to do a Jimmy Olsen episode. And just to be clear, because I think about, I could reference this with the Metallo, the Lois Lane, because I do a character-based episode, doesn't mean that's the only episode I'm going to do on that character. I can always return to a character to pull different material on them. We do have 75 years worth of material. Um, so, I mean, I may, down the road, pull the Jimmy Olsen special from 2011 which collected and completed the backup stories from Action Comics. Maybe I could pull that down the line. So this isn't, for me, a the definitive Jimmy Olsen episode of Superman Forever Radio. I don't know that there would ever be a definitive episode on any one topic because my, my thought processes change. It's kind of the nice thing about having the premise of the show be, I'm going to talk about something Superman. Uh, but all of that to say that this episode isn't a long defense of Jimmy Olsen or a blow-by-blow -blow look at the character's history. Um, instead, I'm going to look at a quartet of stories featuring Jimmy Olsen, and they're really fun stories, too. Um, so sometimes, you know, if I basically what I do is I plan out the show, I want to talk about Jimmy Olsen, I want to talk about crypto, and then once I get to the point where I'm ready to prep that show, if it's not a storyline or material-based, you know, I kind of look at different ways to cover the topic. So each is a little bit different. Um, but let's do a quick study history on Mr. James Bartholomew Olson. For the most part, Jimmy has been the teen sidekick or the kid sidekick and cub reporter or photographer at the Daily Planet. That's his main, you know, archetype role. His first appearance in comic book form is a little bit debatable because some say he was a copy boy in Action Comics number six. That's a bit flimsy because the copy boy isn't called by name, he has blonde hair, so it's become a little bit controversial. Most fans will agree that his debut was in Action Comics 13 in a story featuring a, a green-clad archer, just not that green-clad archer. And while his appearance in the comics is up for debate, the character is actually the product of the Adventures of Superman radio show, where he was initially voiced by actor Jackie Kelk. 
Jimmy has been a part of pretty much every media adaptation of Superman since his debut. From the radio show, to the television series, to the Donner movies, even Smallville. Uh, Jimmy also carried his own series for years, featuring a range of adventures and wacky transformations. And let's not forget the mobile newsroom and man of action time period. But this time around, it's all about the comics, with stories ranging from the 50s to the early 80s. And we'll see a classic Jimmy story, an Elastic Lad story, the potential fate of the Earth One Jimmy Olsen, and a man of action seeking out his signal watch. So get comfortable, make sure your watch batteries are charged, make sure there's film in the camera, because right after this promo for Just One of the Guys, we will jump in with Superman 86. Hey everyone, Sean Engel here. And Strange Disembodied Voice here. Hey, it's good to hear from you. It's been a long time. How have you been? What have you been up to? Oh, not much. Working with other podcasters, calling around with Simon Cowell, prepping for the Mayan Apocalypse. You know, the usual. Neat. Anyhow, uh, glad we got back together since the show, Just One of the Guys, is coming to a turning point, and since you were there at the beginning, I thought it'd be appropriate that you'd be here now. Ooh, are you finally changing formats and doing your epic coverage of the Al Milgram Opus US-1? Um, no. I'm gonna start coverage of the Kyle Rayner stories in Green Lantern. And that, supposedly, is more impressive than the trucker who can receive CD signals through a metal plate in his head? Undoubtedly. Plus, I'm still gonna be covering the ongoing saga of Guy Gardner. Ooh, will he be getting a metal plate in his head which allows him to receive CD signals? No, nothing quite that ridiculous. Although the stories will involve him getting alien DNA, becoming a living weapon, and punching Nazi dinosaurs. Seriously? Yep. So all of this, yet the epic tale of a trucker who's vying to avenge his death of his brother caused by a man who sold his soul to the devil for a satanic 18 healer is just too goofy? Precisely. <sighs> Whatever. So where can I find out about all these changes? Lots of places. For one, you can go to www.justoneoftheguys.libson.com to download the shows, check out the covers of the books, and leave comments on individual show postings. You can also find the show on iTunes just by searching for Just One of the Guys podcast, and you can leave a review there as well. So after you finish these books up, you'll cover US-1? Maybe. I've still got that Dallas Dynasty show with J. David Weeder to do. And Scott Gardner has approached me about doing an NFL Super Bowl podcast that he wanted to do in conjunction with the 25th anniversary of its release. It's come check it out every Friday at justoneoftheguys.libson.com. And we are back to begin our look at four stories featuring Jimmy Olsen. Our first story comes from January 1954 in the pages of Superman number 86. That's Superman Volume 1 for those keeping track. And this classic Superman tale is Jimmy Olsen, Editor. Written by William Woolfolk, penciled by the great Wayne Boring, inked by Stan Kay. And it begins with a title page showing Jimmy Olsen sitting at the desk of Perry White, barking orders at White and Lois Lane. Superman is peeking into the window, shocked and confused that the cub reporter is bossing around the chief. What goes on here? Okay, I'm going to say it. Superman is playing Super Stalker again, which is a bit alarming. Because... What if Perry was having a private moment? Hi, Brad. You know how cute I always thought you were. But getting into the story proper, Perry White is tossing and turning because of a bad dream. 
To make matters worse, he is awakened when he hears shots outside because apparently Perry lives in the ghetto. Uh, this is South Central Metropolis, I guess, because he seems more annoyed at the sound than frightened. If I wake up to shooting, I'm hitting the deck. Uh, but it turns out that it's just Superman catching the gas pipe gang, which Perry describes as the last band of criminals still at large in Metropolis. Really? That would make things a bit slow for the last son of Krypton, wouldn't it? Who knows, maybe the Gotham Globe needs a mild-mannered reporter slash superhero. But Perry is psyched, because a story has basically dropped right into his lap. So he pulls on his clothes and heads to the Daily Planet to submit his well, hard-earned byline. Of course, looking here at the page, he's pulling on his trousers over his pajama pants with a stogie already in his mouth. Slow down, Perry. Wait, wait. Why does an apparently unmarried Perry have a frilly pink lampshade? Huh. Anyway, at the Daily Planet, Perry is describing the dream he was having to Clark. That cub reporter Jimmy was the editor-in-chief of the Daily Planet, and as Perry and Clark reach Perry's office, they find that someone has somehow been promoted, because the name on the editor-in-chief's door says Jimmy. Turns out the mayor of Metropolis has made this day... Boys' Day, in which kids take over the city's most important jobs, cops, firemen, etc., etc., which I think is fantastic. That's right. Let's throw some kids into, the day, into harm's way. Great. Uh, the mayor thought that this would be appropriate, that Jimmy would take on the big desk of Perry White for a day. Of course, nobody bothered to tell Perry. Awkward. But Jimmy has an idea. The Daily Planet is going to solve a mystery that is seven years old and it has to be solved before midnight or the statute of limitations run out and the criminals walk free apparently welcome to CSI Metropolis The crime is known as the Hinkley Jewel Robbery because the thieves stole the Hinkley Jewel Collection. Hmm. The jewels were taken as they were being transferred to an armored car, and the lone witness saw them escaping to the north in a green sedan. Jimmy assigns Clark to tracking all of the license plate numbers in the news pictures, taken minutes after the robbery. And Lois is to interview the lone witness, Charles Morda. Perry takes on searching all the jewelry stores in Metropolis to see if anyone is selling the jewels. So far, really interesting setup. I mean that seriously, we're four pages in, I'm intrigued. Note, no major villains, and a mystery. Excellent. And we get an awesome shirt rip, done by the incomparable Wayne Boring, as Superman shows up to search the license plate numbers. And he hits pay dirt. One of the cars belonged to a criminal known as The Snipe. Interesting timing, since Lois has tracked the witness, Mr. Morda, to a seedy bar where she visits all alone. I'm sure nothing bad can come of this. Wait, what is this? The witness, Charles Morda, is getting buddy-buddy with the snipe? Apparently, the witness was in on the heist and misled the police. And when Lois calls him out, they kidnap her and take her for a boat ride. That was as unexpected as Superman rescuing her. And this means, after the rescue, two criminals are behind bars. 
Meanwhile, Perry has found a jewelry store that is selling the Hinkley collection. But when Perry rushes back to the planet to report this story, the unnamed mastermind behind the robbery is already there, and he holds Jimmy and Perry hostage. That way, when the statue does run out, he's free to walk. But Superman uses chloroform blown into the ventilation system to knock everyone out and take his criminals into custody. Chloroform. No, I can't make this up. He really blew chloroform into the office with his super lungs. Even the bottle says poison. So, wonderful cautionary tale, I guess. But Cub reporter Jimmy Olsen has solved a seven-year mystery in one day as editor-in-chief. Now, as you may have noticed, I didn't have a ton of page-by-page -page notes, but the story really made me smile. Because it's classic. It's pure Superman. It's a bit goofy at parts, but kind of brilliant. Kind of a cool setup, and I like that it's a mystery, which is something that's going to be kind of a, a theme. Uh, the idea that the statute of limitations was a factor, and Jimmy shows some chops as a reporter, really, really like that. But the one thing that I thought was very, very lame that I just didn't agree with was the implication at the end of this story that it may have been Perry's dream all along. Odd. Now the next story, that's right, I'm moving on, features Jimmy front and center a little bit more. Next up on our agenda is actually something special for me. In a weird meta sort of way, because I'm actually reading the story from Adventure Comics 503. That's the final issue of the series. The reason this book is special is because it was my first real exposure to a lot of DC heroes that I love. To fill in the blank here, Adventure Comics was an anthology book that went to digest form towards the end of its run. Somehow, at about seven or eight years old, I had a copy of this final issue, and it introduced me to the Legion of Superheroes, Plastic Man, Zatanna, and it brought Jimmy Olsen into focus as Elastic Lad. It's a really influential book to my fandom. And somewhere I had lost it along the way, which is true with a lot of comics from when I was a kid. And I thought, I really thought of this book often. Um, I just didn't know what the book was. And lo and behold, uh, in an eBay lot, here it is in the stack of books that I just hadn't sorted yet. And I was so excited to find this, I really was. And while I'm actually covering our next story from that book, the story itself was originally published in 1964's Superman's Pal, Jimmy Olsen, number 76. The title is Elastic Lad Jimmy and His Legion Romances, which is written by Jerry Siegel himself and drawn by John Forte. And it begins in the swanky digs of Jimmy Olsen. Ladies' man, man's man, man about town. Jimmy is preparing for a classy dinner with Lucy Lane, and while I want to make a joke about Jimmy putting on very white, the story actually does it for me. Jimmy actually says that he has the lights turned down low and soft music playing. And when Lucy shows up, he thinks to himself that he will impress her by, and I quote directly, acting like a smooth man of the world. Wait, is that Kenny G? Really? Who produces this crap? Oh, wait, disregard. Jimmy, you keep that pimp hand strong, sir. But despite Jimmy's uh, preparation, Lucy is apparently a hard nut to crack. The champagne is sour, the pheasant is so-so, and a couple of legionnaires show up to block Jimmy. And I thought I've had bad dates, I never got blocked by legionnaires though. 
getting Legion blocked. Uh, Ultra Boy and Sun Boy have come to take Jimmy to the 30th century. But Jimmy wouldn't leave a date in progress that he worked so hard to prepare for, right? Wrong. He drops Lucy like a dead weight and mentions that there's a snowstorm coming. It's getting worse, so she can entertain herself by watching his Legion monitor, which gives a view of the goings-on of the 20th or 30th century. And maybe Lucy deserves it. She's continuously comparing Jimmy to some sultan she dated. Bet that the sultan never got summoned by a future superhero team, though. But Sunboy and Ultra Boy drop Jimmy off at the Legion Clubhouse, and I mean the original Yellow Rocket Clubhouse, and then they ditch Jimmy. Don't feel bad, don't fret for Jimmy, folks, because Saturn Girl, Lightning Lass, and Triplicate Girl meet him. Uh, Talk about trading up. They take Jimmy inside, where he's informed that as an honorary member of the Legion, he's required to participate in Legion activities twice a year or lose his membership. So Jimmy suits up and pulls on the purple spandex of renowned hero Elastic Lad, which is one of the simplest costumes in comics. A plain purple bodysuit with green trunks and the words Elastic Lad written on the chest and the back. You know, just in case the lead was buried. And and they make sure to use the most boring font on the planet. Uh, Now, to kind of fill you in a bit, Jimmy is granted superpowers when he drinks an Elasta formula. This was a development that occurred in Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, issue 31. Thanks to those powers, he has Honorary Legion membership. Yeah, that about covers it. So, Jimmy suits up. He drinks some of the last formula and gets into gear, and it doesn't take long for things to get interesting. As Jimmy and Triplicate Girl are transporting a figure made from one of the rarest metals in the universe, somebody tries to steal it by throwing bombs at Triplicate Girl, who disarms all three of them quickly because she splits. That's what she does. The thief tries to escape, but Jimmy forms a maze with his stretchy fingers, which leads to the thief passing out. And it leads to triplicate, triplicate Girl wanting to kiss Jimmy. I think that worked out well. And I do remember as a very young boy being fascinated by Jimmy making that maze with his fingers. Um, I hadn't seen that many stretchy characters, so. Uh, but later in the story, as Jimmy's riding a monorail with lightning lasts, they come upon a section of track that is missing. So Jimmy stretches to form a rail and wins a kiss from lightning lasts. So far, Lucy is missing out, and Jimmy is the man-whore of the 30th century. It's okay, it's like an area code thing, so he's not cheating on Lucy because it's a different century. And then something really awkward happens. Ah, ha. While at a zoo with Saturn Girl, a trio of animals go berserk, including an elephant-like creature with this sword-like nose. Uh, kind of think of a serrated knife, like a swordfish. So... While most of the animals are pretty easy to corral, Jimmy turns his nose into the serrated sword and then rubs noses with the beast. Okay, I'm I'm not projecting things onto this, folks. Because Saturn Girl's dialogue says it all. She says, You're rubbing noses with the creature, causing it to calm down and become... Dot, 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 ellipsis. That's right, there's an actual pause in the dialogue before she finishes... Friendly. Jimmy, that's a step down, dude. I mean, it's okay, because Saturn Girl swoons over Jimmy, and then things get real. More real than, apparently, Jimmy arousing uh, some sort of alien creature. 
because when Jimmy returns to the clubhouse, there is a cat fight between the three Legionnaires. And Jimmy has to calm his women's down. And then he heads back to his time. And are you ready for the twist? What the twist? The girls, that is Saturn Girl, Lightning Lass, and Triplicate Girl, staged all these disasters, these little scenes. The thief, the monorail, the zoo, all faked. Even their swooning over Jimmy was fake, which I'm not even going to comment on. The reason is, they saw how crappy Lucy was treating Jimmy, and they wanted to make her jealous. What a twist! Yet, there's a double twist, because Lucy was supposed to see this on Jimmy's Legion monitor, but she fell asleep, so she missed it all. So Jimmy strikes out anyway. But how many people do you know that have Legion members helping them score in the 20th century? I mean, besides Superboy. Anyway, as I mentioned, this was my first run-in with the Legion, and Jimmy is Elastic Lad, and, I mean, if you're looking at this book, Plastic Man was in it. Just saying, this may be where I got my fascination with stretchy heroes. And it was my first run-in with Lucy Lane, who is my dog's namesake. And I was so happy to find this in that lot. What a really great trip down memory lane. I'm glad you came with me. But that is actually a good point for a short break and a promo. When I come back, we'll find out if things worked out with Lucy and Jimmy. And, he said, adding a layer of suspense, we'll also find out who stole Jimmy's signal watch. I'll be right back after this. In a world where planets die. I have come to the conclusion, Krypton is doomed! Did I hear him right? Where good and evil fight a never-ending battle. But millions of people will die. Millions! Once again, the press underestimates me. One man will become a hero. Every world needs its heroes, Clark. They inspire us to be better than we are. And they protect us from the darkness that's just around the corner. One man Rise to the challenge. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird! It's a plane! One man will wear spandex. Well, one thing's for sure, nobody's going to be looking at your face. Mom? Well, they don't call them tights for nothing. <laughs> Presenting... The Thrilling Adventures of Superman, a podcast looking at the Man of Steel's history via his earliest adventures in comics, radio, and film. Featuring reviews, commentary, creator spotlights, and more. Join the adventure at GreatCrypton.com. And we are back to tackle the next two Jimmy Olsen stories. The next pair have a lot in common with each other. And the two stories we've covered so far, too. You'd almost think I chose these this way on purpose. And maybe I did. I'm not going to give you that much of a peek behind the curtain. But we're going to see Jimmy Olsen as an editor-in-chief of the Daily Planet, this time for real. And then we will look at his relationship with Lucy laying down the road. They're very similar to each other in the fact that they both have... Uh, well, they both appear in the issues of Superman Family, and they involve theft. First up is Superman Family 200, which, if you remember, I mentioned on the Lois Lane episode... 
Um, it's the issue that leaps ahead to the turn of the century, showing the many members of Superman's supporting cast from Earth-1, including Jimmy, who was appearing as a regular feature in the book, which is appropriate since Superman family used to be Superman's pal, Jimmy Olsen. The story we're looking at is The Thief at Sky's Edge, written by Jerry Conway with art by Alex Saviak. And it begins at Metropolis Airport as a suborbital flight makes a perfect landing. An older Lucy Lane disembarks and greets her husband, Daily Planet editor James Olsen, looking a bit too much like the Biff Tannen from 1985. Lucy has just come back from New Delhi with a present for the older and now married Kents. She has the expensive Indian statue in her bag, which in turn is chained to her wrist. And apparently a flight from India to Metropolis takes all of 90 minutes when you have a suborbital jet. It was such a relaxing flight that Lucy fell asleep. And when she goes to open up the bag, the statue is gone. How can that be? The bag was with Lucy the whole time. Things that make you go... Jimmy is a bit ticked and yells a little, but recants when Lucy starts walking away because she's rich. She's the president of the airline she just flew on, which means she doesn't have to take Jimmy's crap. Hothead Jimmy decides to calm down and get his wits about him. He asks several witnesses if they saw anything, but nobody did. So somehow this thing just vanished into thin air. So Jimmy has Lucy recount her steps. She flew to India which she points out is no longer stricken by famine or overcrowding, thanks to an additional moon colony. She went to the museum curator, bought the statue, and went through airport security to return, where her papers for export were checked. As she did so, another guard who looks a lot like Bald Bull from Punch-Out eyed her. And then she got on the plane and was so relaxed by the plane's vibrations, she fell asleep for the whole flight. Nothing out of place here except, well, of course, Bald Bull. But all Jimmy has to do is dodge his charge and start punching while he's stunned, right? Oh, and eagle-eyed Jimmy notices something else at Metropolis Airport that will be important later. So Jimmy hops on the same flight, the same plane, and returns to India, where he buys a second statue just like the first one. He goes through the security check. He notes that Bald Bull is uh, surprised. He has this surprised look in his eyes. On the flight home, Jimmy notes that the stewardess seats him in exactly the same spot that Lucy sat in. And after takeoff, Jimmy realizes that the plane's vibrations are abnormal. They are intended to put the passenger to sleep. So he forces himself to stay awake until the bottom of the seat sinks to the cargo hold below. And he surprises the heck out of a baggage handler who looks like Roger Stern and is the third stop on a theft ring. How did Jimmy know this was coming? Let me pull an Encyclopedia Brown on you. Let's go back to the beginning. When Jimmy spotted the baggage handler back at Metropolis, he made a note of it. That baggage handler being the Roger Stern lookalike. Bald Bull plays recon since he can see the contents of the passengers' bags as they pass through the x-rays. He signals the stewardess, who seats the mark in the rigged seat. After the seat lulls the victim to sleep, the chair sinks, leaving the back in position so no other passengers see what is happening. Baggage handler does the lift, and the passenger is sent back into position. Boom. And after a fight, Jimmy catches the thieves and finds the original statue still sitting in the baggage claim in Metropolis. And it's Biff Tannen, Mutton Chop Jimmy for the win against Bald Bull and Roger Stern. Okay, not as memorable as the Legion story, but a solid enough read and a potential future for Earth-1 Jimmy. 
But we have another mystery, much like the first story that we covered. It's actually a pretty solid one, too, to, to, to tell the honest truth. A few out-of-order comments before we jump into that one. A. Lucy Lane aged well. Jimmy definitely married out of his league. B. Lucy mentions that she inherited the airline from a patient she cared for as a nurse, which does give us a decent connection from her status quo at the time. And Superman Family 200 is actually really excellent. It's a potential future, a bit goofy in parts, but a really solid read all the way around, more so than I expected. Which leads us to our final story for this episode, and one that brings us full circle with a more standard Jimmy Olsen, this time around in a more modern context. Yet, like two out of three stories we have read this time, it's a mystery. So there are a few themes that are resonating through our tales. Let us jump ahead in the Superman Family comic a year and a half to issue 218 from May 1982. As I said, Jimmy had a regular feature in this book along with Supergirl, Lois Lane, Mr. and Mrs. Superman, which tells the exploits of the Earth 2 Superman now married to Lois. This time around, Jimmy must use his wits to solve the mystery of The One That Almost Got Away, a story written by Paul Kupperberg with arts done by Jose Delbo and Joe Giella. This was in the era of Julius Schwartz, when Clark was a television reporter working under Morgan Edge. Jimmy has grown up a bit. As the opening text tells us, he's gone from office boy to ace reporter for the Daily Planet, a reporter who has instincts and keen skills of observation. So imagine Jimmy's surprise when he strolls down the street with a headache and a bit of memory loss. He can't remember his own address. And then, in a pawn shop window, he spots a watch that really looks like his signal watch. And as he checks his wrist, he realizes that is his signal watch. A device given to him by the Man of Steel that emits a high-pitched signal that only Superman can hear like a dog whistle. And this is a trinket that marks Jimmy as Superman's pal. It's better than Superman peeing on him. Jimmy enters the pawn shop, where he asks the owner, Nate Spiegelman, pawnbroker to the stars, where the watch came from. Nate doesn't believe that the watch is indeed Jimmy's, and nor would I. Not with the ridiculous green turtleneck and plaid jacket that Jimmy's wearing, definitely not. So Jimmy tries to prove that he is bona fide and presses the signal button, but Superman doesn't show. So Spiegelman takes the watch back, runs Jimmy out in a rail. And I want to comment on the watch's look, which seems to change through time, almost issue by issue, artist by artist. Most of the time, it's shown as a fairly simple round timepiece and a standard leather band. Here it's a square watch, seamlessly connected with a gold metal band. Uh, the whole thing is gold. It looks like Seiko made it. It's only missing a calculator to complete the dated look. So Jimmy goes all Brian De Palma and remembers being pistol whipped by criminals, Horrible and Maury, as Jimmy visited the waterfront market for some fresh fish at the request of Jimmy's girlfriend Jennifer. What, you Wait, you just now remember getting pistol whipped? Hmm. So while he was knocked out, the thug stole his watch. No, you know what? Are you kidding me? Jimmy forgot being cracked on the back of the head by a revolver? Keen observation skills of the Daily Planet star reporter people. Wouldn't waking up in the bay with a concussion usually stand out for a person, anybody, much less a reporter, a seasoned reporter? Now, I would be less worried about a watch and more worried about my wallet, my physical condition, and being given the bad touch while I was unconscious. 
but Jimmy hops in a cab and heads for the fish market, wistfully remembering how he came to own such a unique watch. Back when he was a bow-tie-wearing copyboy trying to prove his journalism chops, Jimmy disguised himself as a bellhop to eavesdrop on Big Mike Arnstein and his extortion racket. But Jimmy was discovered and thrown out of the hotel window where he was rescued by Superman. So Superman gave... Well, this is really straightforward, but Superman gave Jimmy a watch to signal him if he's in danger. Not really thinking it through, Jimmy heads back to the fish market where he was conked out to draw the criminals from hiding. Which makes the big assumption that the thugs hang out there regularly. Or that they would even recognize him. But it works. The two big bad bullies meet Jimmy on a dock planning to finish the job that they started by attacking, by attempting to kill Olsen and attacking him. Because they can't have Daily Planet reporters snooping around their operation. Whatever that operation is, uh, we never really find out what the criminals are up to as far as their operation. Uh, but they try to finish the job, not realizing that Jimmy Olsen is a man of action. And there's some fighty McFightenstein, copyright Andrew P. Leyland, which catches the attention of the boys in blue who arrive on the scene and arrest the criminals despite the fact that by the time they arrive, Jimmy is the one delivering the beatdowns. And I I get it. I know Jimmy's a known reporter. Uh, but usual procedure, as I understand it, is to secure everyone. Uh, identify them, take statements, put together what occurred. Uh, you're secured until, you know, everything is kind of... Basically, you're secured until proven innocent. But Jimmy gets his come up, comeuppance and a news story, and he finally gets to date, to his date with Jennifer, uh, which is, you know, awkward because he's 24 hours late. What he apparently doesn't get is his watch, at least not on the page itself. That doesn't mean that with the criminals in cuffs spilling their full confessions because Miranda rights are overrated, that they wouldn't admit to taking the watch. Doesn't mean that, but we never see that. It's like the dude not getting his rug back. And you know what else we don't see? We don't see why Superman didn't show up for the signal watch. As Jimmy points out, Superman always arrives. So was Superman, was he busy somewhere watching a showing of E.T.? Ah, see what I did there? It's an 80s joke. Awesome. Uh, but I liked all four of these stories, truth be told. With the first, we had this very straightforward classic Silver Age Superman story, which is never a bad thing. Then we had a goofy sci-fi Jimmy story. Uh, complete with transformation. You can't have a Jimmy story without transformations, apparently. Uh, with the with the second story, we kind of threw in the teen hormones and, and Legion. Kind of a winning combination. We had a fun future tale, which also shows a potential outcome in Jimmy and Lucy Lane's relationship, and kind of had a great mystery, too. And finally, a straightforward Jimmy Olsen man of action tale. Overall, a fairly solid cross-section of books all about Earth-1. I didn't do any post-crisis, which I'm kind of bummed about. I just didn't, I wasn't able to really carve out which ones I would cover for this issue. Um, and though I'm not as passionate about Jimmy as I am about Lois, I really enjoyed these stories. Uh, but that brings us pretty much to the end of this round. Um, next time around, I, it's slated to be a look at Supergirl. I'm going to be pulling probably the Bizarro Girl storyline. Uh, just because I want something from the Sterling Gates era. One thing I was going to mention, speaking of Sterling Gates, is... 2014, the first six months, is going to be New Krypton, Grounded, Reign of Doomsdays. Uh, so I'm marking my territory there. Be on the lookout for that because we're going to basically, I feel like, picking up the mandate there after we're done with a lot of fun stuff in, the, in 2013. 
Um, but just want to let you know, something to look forward to beginning in January of 2014, which, why am I telling you about this a little under a year ahead of time? Because that's how I roll. I'm J. David Weeder. That's how I roll. Um, so until next time, keep on fighting the never-ending battle. Superman Forever Radio is a NatWorld production. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, where you can leave a review. The show's episodes and extended show notes are available at supermanforever.com, where episodes premiere every Sunday. Episode postings can also be found at the supermanhomepage.com and at supermanpodcastnetwork.com, where you can find a wide variety of quality Superman podcasts for your listening pleasure. Email is always welcome. The address is mail at supermanforever.com. You can friend and follow the show at facebook.com slash supermanforeverradio. And David is also on Twitter with the handle at superdaveweeder. Weeder is spelled W-E-T-E-R. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not gain profit from the images or related properties of DC Comics or Wonder Brothers Entertainment. Superman and all related characters are copyrighted properties of DC Comics and Warner Brothers Entertainment. All music and sound clips are used for entertainment purposes only, and copyrights remain with the copyright holder. No infringement is intended. Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. As always, thank you so much for listening.